Well, good morning, Harvest. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. You awake? You alive? Praising the Lord with your church family. It's a good day, right? Amen to that. A lot of things to be thankful for, a lot of things that God's at work doing. And in fact, as I was preparing for the sermon today, I spent some time just reflecting on what I've seen the Lord doing, how His hand has been at work in our church family. And I wanted to share some of those things with you because I realize not everyone gets to be a part of that or see that firsthand. And so, if you didn't know, over the last month, we've seen three people profess faith in Jesus Christ, and that's just tremendous, right? Like, praise the Lord for that. And so we're following up with those folks, helping them understand what does that mean to walk with Jesus for a lifetime. Uh, also, if you were here a couple weeks ago during Easter, we had two people follow the Lord in believer's baptism. So again, celebrating with them as they take that step. And I've been told we have about four others who are interested in doing that in the days ahead. So again, just exciting things as people are taking steps of growth. Also, for me personally, as I've been in the counseling room working through things with people, I've seen great steps of growth and great change in some families in our church. And so praising God for what he's doing in individuals' lives and in married couples and families' lives within our body. And then you know those Connect cards that you fill out every Sunday? I hope you fill them out anyways. And often you put a prayer request or a praise down there. Uh, Let me just tell you, it's been really encouraging to watch God work through those too because we pray for those. Like we tell you we do. We actually do that. We pray for them. And it's really neat to see some that have been prayed about consistently since the beginning of the year to say, praise God, he answered this prayer. And so again, it's so, so encouraging to see God is alive and he's moving and he's at work within our body. And then the last thing I wanted to point out is um, there's been some people who have responded recently to some of the servant needs in our church. And so we've had six folks step up to help serving in Harvest Kids. And so praising God for that, that they're you know, sacrificing of their time and of their energy to go bless those kids downstairs. If you're one of those six, thank you. Right? Praise God for what he's doing in our body. And that's just a high-level flyover. Right? I'm sure if I called the small group leaders up here, or if we had the men's and women's ministry come up here, they'd have things they'd want to add to. If I got Jack and Emily about Harvest Kids, they'd share more. Uh, but praise God, he is at work. You know what else gets me excited during this time of the year? It's time to plan for High Five Camp, right? High Five Camp is one of the biggest outreach opportunities that we have all year long, right? And if you don't know what High Five Camp is, it's a week of our summer where we open up our church and we reach the community for Christ, specifically kids that are entering kindergarten through fifth grade this fall. And so it's a week long. It's the week of the June 24th to the 28th, from in, it's in the evening, 6 to 8.30 p.m., and folks come to hear about the gospel. They come to participate in exciting electives where they get to learn how to use their skills, their gifts, and their abilities for Christ. And last year, we had over 92 kids come through these doors, and they were building relationships, and they were hearing the gospel message being proclaimed to them. That's an exciting thing to be a part of. And rather than me continuing to blather on about it, I just want to show you a quick video about it. So let's turn to the screen for a moment. Isn't it sweet to see kids so excited to learn about Jesus? I mean, that's an exciting thing, an opportunity for us to minister the gospel to our community. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to be a part of High Five Camp, right? It's an all-hands-on-deck serving opportunity for our church family. We need 75 more servants in order to be fully staffed for this summer. And so my challenge for you right now is to get out your phone, get out your smart device, whatever it is, or if you don't have one of those, go ahead and use your bulletin. But I want you to go to the website, harvestdemoines.org, slash high five right now. No... No concerns if you have your phone out. I want you to do this. I want you to look on this site for the big blue volunteer sign-up button, right? And I don't need you to click it right now, but I want you to know where it's at because later today when you leave the service, I want you to go home and click that button. And I'm asking you to sign up and fill out your information so that you can be one of the servants who comes alongside of these kids and helps them learn about Jesus this summer. 
Right? Do you think that's something that we can do, that all 75 servant sign-up slots can be filled by, let's say, 10 p.m. tonight? Are you up for that? Yeah? That's not a very good, yeah. How about, are you up for that? Yeah. Woo! Right? Let's do this. Let's do this, right? And so what you would be signing up for is to be coming alongside of a group of about 8 to 10 kids as a helper. You'd be participating with them in one of the electives. If you're someone who's more behind the scenes, don't worry. We've got something like that, too. You can help decorate the church or make those decorations. There's something for everyone. And so I want to encourage you to make this a priority for you this summer, to invest time on the week of June 24th to the 28th. And so with that being said, let's get to the word, right? I don't always start the sermon with an announcement like that, but when it's so important and it's such a big part of our ministry, I want to make sure we highlight it and emphasize it. If you're new here, my name is Nick Lees, and we're so glad you're here. We get to open up God's Word and study it together now. So I'm going to have our ushers come forward with the Bibles. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, throw, throw your hand in the air, and one of our ushers will gladly give you a copy of the Word of God for this morning. We want everyone to be able to study God's Word for themselves as we read it. And we're going to be in the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's page 818 of the Bible that's being passed out to you right now. And if you are new here, well, our study this year is going through this letter to the, to the Corinthians. And our goal through this letter has been to learn how to do all things for the glory of God. Right? That's Paul's writing in chapter 10. He says, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And so we want to be a church that learns how to do that. How do we glorify God in any and every circumstance that we find ourselves in? And so today, we're going to continue to unpack that as we're in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 40. And we're seeking to learn how to glorify God as you are. And if this is your first Sunday with us, let me give you a little bit of background to what we're about to read. So this letter has been written by a man named the Apostle Paul. He was a follower of Christ. He helped plant this church. He helped start it in the city of Corinth in Greece. And the reason why Paul's writing this letter now is because that church, over time, has become proud. They've become puffed up. They think they know better than God. And so they're not really interested in obeying God's word at this moment. They're actually rebelling against God's word and going their own way. Paul loves them too much to let that continue. And so he's writing to them. He's actually going to go visit them at some points too, but he's seeking to confront them. He's seeking to help them get back on the path of living for Christ. And in this particular part of the letter, he's been answering some questions and some concerns that they brought up to him. So if you were here a couple weeks ago, you know that he's been addressing concerns about what are appropriate sexual relations between men and women. And see, for this church, there was a lot of confusion about that. They came out of a culture that was very sexually confused. It was we're in today. And so they had two ditches that they fell into. So on one side, there was the ditch of hedonism, which means they were just pursuing their pleasures nonstop, right? They didn't care what, what God said. They wanted to do whatever was right in their own eyes. And then on the other side of the ditch, you have asceticism, which means they thought you should have no pleasure in your life whatsoever, even within the marriage relationship. And so Paul has been talking to them about those issues. And if you were here at the beginning of chapter 7, we learn, Paul says, no, sex is good. It's God's design, but it's only meant to be within the marriage relationship. You shouldn't pursue that outside of marriage. Well, then last week, Paul counseled on how to handle marital conflict and how to think about divorce. And now today, we're going to see that he's going to more directly address how do you think about your present circumstances, whether you're single, whether you're widowed, or whether you're married, what should you think about the circumstances that you're in? And I gave a, a call last week to the uh, single people not to check out, right, when we were specifically talking a lot more about marriage. And so this week, I want to talk to the married people. 
please don't check out today as we talk about singleness and we talk about widows. So there's something that all of us need to take away from this message, right? You have people in your life who are single. You have people who hopefully you're discipling the next generation. They're wrestling with these questions. And so you need to know what God says about them so that you can teach and train them according to God's way. And during our time together, I hope to show you four principles for glorifying God in your current circumstances. So let's go to the word now. Let's look at chapter 7, starting in verse 17. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he is called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him there remain with God. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. All right, let's stop there for a moment. Let's just think through what Paul's communicating here, right? He's addressed a whole bunch of different scenarios, different circumstances that people may find themselves in. So what's he trying to communicate here in this part of his letter? This is actually going to be our first principle for how to glorify God in your current circumstances. It's to walk out your faith and don't focus on changing your situation. Walk out your faith and don't focus on changing your situation. At the very start of what we read here, Paul says, hey, lead the life that God has called you to. Right? The Lord has called each person to a particular life and to, uh, that he's assigned to them. And the latter part of that is actually better translated as as God has called you. So it's not to which God has called you, but as God has called you. So each person, when you've encountered Christ, when you've chosen to repent and believe in him, you are in a certain stage of your life, right? You are in a certain set of circumstances. Paul says some were circumcised, others were not. Some were slaves, others are free. Some were single and others were married, right? Everyone is in some sort of stage of life when you're called to Christ, do you remember what stage of life you were in when you met Jesus, when you recognized your need for a Savior? I know for me, it was right before my freshman year of high school. I was a single young guy, had a full head of hair back then, if you can imagine it. I mean, those are gone, those are days long past, but you know, at that point in time, I thought, I just need to be a good person. If I did enough good, then surely I would be able to be in heaven. But then I was invited to go to a Christian drama. And at that drama, they made it very clear that no one is good enough. No one can outdo the amount of sin that we've done. And that we need a savior. We need Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin. And that night, my eyes were opened to the reality that I needed forgiveness of my sin. 
and that I needed Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sin and give me his perfect righteousness so that I could have the hope of heaven. And so by the end of that evening, I did choose to go forward and repent and believe. My life has never been the same since. But what about you? Right? Has there been a definite time in your life where you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And Paul even writes in his letter, he knows that that has happened in the Corinthians' lives. In the very beginning of the letter, verse 2, here's what Paul affirmed about the Corinthians. He says, this is to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So Paul is affirming they have been sanctified in Christ. They have been set apart for him. They've been made holy. They've professed faith in Jesus. And now as we get into chapter 7, Paul says, live out your faith. Walk it out day by day. Live out the life that the Lord has called you to. And that's the same for you and I today. Right? If, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, he calls you to walk out your faith day by day in whatever circumstances you're in. And Paul has a second emphasis here. He says you shouldn't focus on changing your situation. So not only should you walk with the Lord and live out your faith, you also shouldn't concern yourself too much with your circumstances and the situation you find yourself in. And just because you're a Christian now doesn't necessarily mean you have to change everything else about your life in the sense of whether you're single or married or whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. Again, you do need to change the whole sin thing. You've got to put that off and put on holiness. But Paul's saying your priority needs to be pleasing Christ. That's what you focus on. Don't focus on changing your scenario or your circumstances, whatever they may be. And Paul gives very, three very different examples here for how to live for the Lord. In the first scenario, it's this, circumcision, verses 18 and 19, right? He says, don't focus on your present status. Those things are not important. What is important is keeping the commandments of God. In verse 19, that's what he's encouraging. Keep God's commands. Walk out your faith. Please the Lord. Your physical status is not that important in comparison. And the reason why this example is in here is because in those days, there were a group of believing Jews who were saying, hey, if you, if you trust in Christ, you need to be circumcised. Otherwise, you can't be a part of the people of God. You won't have the hope of heaven. Well, that's a little shocking, right? The Gentiles have never heard that before. And you may say, well, why would they say that? Why would these, why would these Jewish believers say that? Well, it's because of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, circumcision was a part of being the people of God. It was a sign of the covenant of Abraham, that you are part of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But if you've been reading uh, with our annual Bible reading plan, if you're in that, then even this week you were in Acts chapter 15. So you got to read about the early church working through this issue. And in that particular chapter, this issue comes up, and the early church has to, to weigh in and debate on it. And what they realize is this is not a gospel issue. This is not a salvation issue. You don't have to force circumcision on these people. They're in Christ. What matters most is their faith in Christ. They need to walk out and live out their faith day by day. Don't focus on adhering to the law or changing your physical stature. Walk out your faith. Second example that he gives is in verses 21 to 23, where he talks about bond servants, which are slaves, versus the freedmen. And again, Paul says, your main focus should not be your condition that you were in when Christ called you. He does give a caveat here, though, right? He does say, however, if you're able to obtain your freedom, great, do so. So he's not advocating for slavery, but he is saying, 
That shouldn't be your primary concern, whether you're a slave or a freedman. Ultimately, the most important thing about you is that you're free in Christ, right? If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then you're free in him. And that is far greater than anything that's true about you here on this earth. You're free from slavery to sin and no longer has bondage over you. You've been redeemed by God. So even if you're a slave on this earth in Christ, you're free. And even if you're free on this earth in Christ, you've been rescued and you're actually a slave to God now. You're a slave to righteousness. That's what scripture teaches. When we're rescued out of our bondage to sin, we've been rescued out of slavery to sin to slavery to God in that sense, that we're called to live a righteous life. We're called to live obediently to, for him and for his glory. And the overall point here is your earthly status is not the most important thing. What is important is pleasing Christ, that you remain with God and that you continue in the faith. That's what Paul is emphasizing over and over again. And he does remind them a high price has been paid for your salvation. Right, the price so that you could be set free was the blood of the sinless Son of God. And because you've been bought with the sinless Son of God's blood, the expectation is now that you would live for him, that you'd walk out that faith day by day. Jesus died for you. You live for him. And he says, don't re-enslave yourselves. Don't go back into bondage under men. Don't go back under bondage to sin. He writes a whole chapter about this in his letter to the Romans, actually, where he says, if you're made new in Christ, then guess what? You don't have to go back to that. You have a choice now. You can live for Jesus Christ. And I want to share with you how he concludes that chapter in Romans 6, 22 to 23. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Right? That's the, that's the fruit of knowing Jesus. That's the fruit of following him, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if you're here and you're in Christ, you've been set free from sin. You're free now to live for Jesus. You're free to have the hope of heaven, and that is a great freedom indeed. Polar opposites. Once you were earning death, now you're earning life. And as we think through what we're studying today in this passage in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul just continues to emphasize your earthly circumstances pale in comparison to what's true about you in heaven. Heaven is so much greater. And so you need to focus your efforts and focus your energies on living out your life for Christ. That needs to be your primary concern. Not that those other things aren't concerns or that you don't try to gain your freedom if you are a slave, but you put it in balance. You put it in focus. So what would that look like? Right? What would it look like for you to live out your faith and not be enslaved to sin any longer. Well, maybe you're here, and when you were called, when you were rescued out of sin to, you know, to, by Christ and to Christ, maybe you were enslaved to pornography. Maybe you were addicted to uh, drinking or smoking or the approval of, of man. Right? There's a whole lot of things that we could live for. Are those things still true about you? Or have you been set free from them? Perhaps when you were called, you were someone who struggled with fear and worry or maybe you struggled with wanting to be controlling and having everything in order how you thought it should go in your life. Or perhaps laziness. Again, are those things still true about you? Or have you been set free in Jesus? Right? Because the truth of the matter is, is if you're in Christ, you're set free. And you can live as if you've been set free. You have a choice to make each and every day. 
I think a helpful way for us to think about this is, Lord, help me to do the next right thing for you, right? Help me to do the next thing that will please you. And then we take that step, and then we say it again. Lord, help me take the next right step to please you, right? That's a helpful way to take this a day at a time and a decision at a time. Jesus, help me to live for you each and every day and every moment, right? God's extravagant grace, his extravagant mercy has been poured out in your life if you know Jesus Christ, and you are no longer a slave to sin. But you have to choose to stop living like a slave to sin. You have to choose to live as a slave of righteousness, to walk out your faith. And if you're here and you're saying, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, I believe that I've been set free, but man, this bondage is so strong. Well, guess what? You have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You have the immeasurable power of God at your disposal, right? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. You have a family of believers who love you and would love to walk with you to help you see freedom and victory over whatever it is that you're wrestling with. And so I want to encourage you to avail yourself of those resources. Bring a brother or bring a sister in to the battle that you're facing. I'm assuming that many of you are in our small groups. Again, right? That's what that community is meant to accomplish, to walk through life together and to wrestle with the hard things together to pray for one another and hold each other accountable. So talk to those people. Invite your small group leaders in. I want you also to know we have counseling here at the church. It's free, no cost. You can go on our website and fill out the counseling application if you're going through something. We'd love to open up God's word with you and help you from the scriptures to have victory over whatever it is that may be still a bondage for you. We want people to be set free. Well, the third example that's found here is in verses 25 to 28. And this is the topic that Paul spends the rest of the chapter on. He's talking to those who are married and those who are unmarried. And here he says that concerning those who are betrothed, meaning those who are not married yet, he gives his judgment as a redeemed Christian who is trustworthy. Right? He's very careful to imply this is not commands that I have from Jesus, but I am your pastor and I'm seeking to shepherd you. That's essentially what he's applying. And as an apostle, his words carry weight, and we know now that This is part of the inspired word of God. So what is Paul saying? What is he teaching them? He says, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. And by present distress, he means the suffering and the persecution that they would have been under as Christians. It was a tumultuous day and age to be living, and there wasn't a, a lot of excitement for this new upstart religion called Christianity that was spreading like wildfire through the Middle East. They would have been facing trials and persecution for those, the choice to follow Christ. And he says, due to this distress, if you're engaged or if you're married, don't seek to get free of that. You should continue in that. And if you're single, don't seek to be married. Again, he gives a caveat. However, if you do get married, that's not sin. That's okay too. But just understand this. If you do get married, you're asking for additional concerns, additional troubles in your life. And I think that's a very, very balanced approach, right? You know who Paul is, right? He's a man who loves his singleness. He takes great joy in being a single man. And yet he knows the Corinthians are people who struggle with two different ditches, hedonism, pursuit of pleasure, living however they want, or asceticism, no, no pleasure whatsoever. And so he's trying to help them understand, well, what does God say about this? How should you live in this area? And he says, it's good to remain as you are. You don't need to focus on changing your earthly circumstances. But if you do, that's not sin either. You just have to be aware 
you're bringing additional complications into your life if you get married. Now, if you think about that, and even some of the broader implications of that, it's a pretty fascinating topic because Paul's here saying, essentially, be content. Rest in where the Lord has called you and where he's put you at this stage in your life. And we live in a day and age where that is not the message that our culture screams, right? We live in a day and age where you're, you're told to be discontent, like always be pursuing the next thing, the next biggest, greatest thing in your life, whether it's a raise, benefits, whatever it may be, the bigger house, the nicer car, whatever it is. It's just not what our, our culture emphasizes. And we even actually see this in the church. And when's the last time you heard this? Or maybe you were the well-intended person who said this. You came up to a single gal or a single guy in the church and you said, Hey, when are you going to start dating? When are you going to get married? When, when are you going to find the one? Or what does that communicate to that person, whether you intended it to or not? It's saying, you should be discontent with what you have right now. There's something else out there, and you don't have it yet. You need to pursue it because you're missing out. Right? In that moment, you're not letting them be content where God has them. And so a better question would be to ask something like this. How's God working in your life right now? What are some ways that you're serving the Lord and that God is using you for his glory? Right, again, the focus there is not on changing their circumstances. It's on how's God working in you in your current circumstances? How is he moving through you and how are you pleasing him? Completely different focus. And along the same, same lines would be going up to a married couple and saying, hey, when are you guys going to start having kids? Right, again, you probably are well-intentioned and well-meaning there, but what are you communicating Right? You should be discontent. There's something that you don't have that you need. And you know what? I don't know if you realize this, but consider how that would come across to someone who may be grieving a miscarriage or someone who's been struggling with infertility. Right? That's devastating to them. And I didn't realize that until we went through a miscarriage and I had friends that were struggling with infertility. And then I, the light bulb went off and I realized, oh my goodness, I need to change how I'm communicating. It's not that our intentions are bad, but are we loving one another? And so I bring these things up this morning just to help us grow in how we communicate within our body and even outside of this church, right? How do we love one another well in our communication? We need to be thinking about this. Don't force other people to change their circumstances. Let's let them be content where they're at. It's good to be single just as it's good to be married. It's good to physically reproduce just as it's good to spiritually reproduce by making disciples. Right? We can celebrate all of those situations. They're all good things. That's what I want to encourage you towards today. Well, Paul's not done yet, though. He's got some explanation to give now of why he's teaching this to the Corinthians. So let's look again at verses 29 through 31. Here's what Paul continues to write. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And so Paul now is saying, hey, we are in a unique period of history. The Savior of the world has come. He's died for your sins. He's risen again so that that forgiveness was effective for you. The only thing we're waiting for now is for him to come again. And to bring in his full rule and his full reign. The return of Jesus Christ is imminent. And when you understand that, that ought to change the way that you live. 
And so the question you have to ask yourself is, does that change the way that you live? Has it changed the way that you live? And that's our second principle for learning to glorify God in your circumstances. Live as if Jesus could return today. Live as if Jesus could return today. Because when you live this way, it helps you understand that what we experience and what we go through on this earth, it is temporary. It's but for a time. And again, Paul applies this to several different scenarios. In light of heaven, we know that marriage is temporary. It's for this earth. Marriage does not continue in heaven. Suffering and trials will also cease in heaven. They will be no more. And even the joys that we experience this side of heaven will pale in comparison to the glories that we get to experience firsthand when we're in God's presence. Not to mention the things that you spend your time on in this world, you know, acquiring possessions and pastimes, those too will fade away. They will not last. And so if you live as if Jesus' return is imminent, your priorities should and will change. What you value should and will change. Paul says that someone who recognizes the time has grown very short lives differently. They're not engrossed in all these other activities. It's not what defines you. And so, yes, of course, marriage is a very important relationship. It's a covenant relationship between a husband and wife, and we don't want to diminish the value of that at all. But it's not also the, the main thing or the primary thing that you live for. You live to please the Lord, and you do that as a married person or as a single person. Also, the depths of your sufferings that you face in this life or even the heights of your joy, those things are tempered when you understand the future realities of heaven and what awaits you. And if you live in light of eternity, you're not going to be striving to just store up all the wealth, all of the possessions that you can possibly get this side of heaven. Right? These things are put in their proper place when you realize there's an eternity waiting for you. Now, that doesn't mean you devalue them, right? I want to make sure we emphasize that. Marriage is still very important. All of these other things are still important. But for a Christian, when you have a proper view of heaven, when you realize that Christ is coming back, it does help you make decisions to be wise and to be a good steward about the days that you have here on this earth and how you use your resources and how you live, right? What does it look like to please Jesus in each of these things? That's what we're doing. That's what our goal ought to be. I want to prepare for eternity. I want to prepare for life with God forever. And my, my favorite thing about Paul is that he's not just a man who teaches this. He's also a man who lives this out in his own life. And my favorite book of the Bible is Philippians. And specifically in Philippians chapter 3, Paul explains how this mentality has transformed his life. His values, his priorities, everything has been flipped upside down as a result of understanding Christ and Christ's return. And so here, I want to share with you from verses 7 through 12 of Philippians 3. Here's what Paul says. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, that I may, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Right? Do you hear how Paul's entire world and value system has been changed because of his relationship with Christ and because he knows the resurrection is a real thing and he's, he's looking forward to heaven, right? That's changing Paul. He's living for the Lord. He's not just talking the talk. He's also walking the walk. His goal is to please Christ. And as you study the scriptures, you certainly don't see the Apostle Paul wasting time. You see him keeping his relationship and, relationships in check. They're in the proper place in his life. His circumstances, he went through a lot, right? Suffering and high highs, and yet they do not dictate how he lives. The whole time, focus on Christ. How do I please Christ? How do I please Christ? No matter what I'm going through. And just a chapter later in, in this letter to the Philippians, he says that he's learned the secret to being content, whether he's in plenty or whether he's in want. And the answer to that is because Christ is the one who strengthens him. He's united with Christ, and his desire is to please him above all else. And so that changes Paul, and that changes the way he responds to things he's going through. Is that how you live? Is that how I live? Or does our relationship with Christ, does the fact that he's returning one day change the way that we live here and now? Or what would that look like? If we had a, had a right view of Christ's imminent return and we allowed that to influence us. Well, maybe you're here and you're in the middle of running that corporate rat race, right? You're trying to climb the ladder. You're trying to get the higher salary. You're trying to get the better benefits. Maybe you're trying to get the nicer car or the, the bigger house, right? But in the meantime, as you pursue that, you're neglecting your family or your own spiritual health. If you live as if Christ's return is imminent, if you're seeking to please Christ, those priorities will change. You won't continue to live that way. Or maybe you're here and you're prioritizing trying to have a comfortable and an easy life. Right? That may look different for each one of us. You may want to be on the beach six days a week and on day seven you want to sleep and recover from being on the beach because it's so, so hard. Right? Whatever it is that you would define as a comfortable and easy life, are you pursuing that to the detriment of your walk with Christ and to live in a way that's pleasing to him? Maybe you're here and you idolize a relationship that you don't have yet. Oh, if only I was dating, or if only I was engaged, or if only I was married. And you've lifted that to the place where it now controls how you think and respond, and frankly, it, it's an idol in your life. All of those mindsets and many others that we don't have time to mention are confronted by the fact that Jesus is returning. Right? He will come back one day, and you only have so long to live on this earth. We don't even know how long that will be, right? We don't know the number of your days. And so what does it look like to spend the time that you do have living in a way that pleases Christ, that's for his glory? What are you living for, right? What are you living for? Are you living to please Christ or are you living to please yourself? Those are really the only two options that we have. And so I know that those may be hard questions to ask yourself, and the answers may be intimidating, but they are questions that we need to ask and answer. And again, I would encourage you, don't do that alone. Bring others alongside of you in this faith journey. We're meant to be in relationship with one another. And I also want to point you to the resources that, are, again, are at your disposal, right? The endless grace, the bound, boundless mercies of God have been given to you. You can change. It's not about pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. God has made a way for you. Well, let's go back to the text now. Let's look at verses 32 through 35. Here Paul's going to be speaking now uh, to some specific concerns that those who are married and unmarried might have. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, 
how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so again, Paul's reiterating, if you get married, just be aware you're bringing some additional concerns, some additional troubles into your life. And he wants them to have the opportunity to be free of those. Now, the word translated anxieties here also means cares or concerns. So I think it's helpful to realize that because we often have a very negative connotation to anxieties. So Paul's talking about the cares and concerns that both the unmarried and the married people will have. And he's not dogging on marriage in this, in this section of Scripture, nor is he elevating singleness and saying it's better than marriage. He agrees that both are good things. He's just laying out some facts of life. If you're a married person, your interests are divided. You have a spouse to care for as well as a God to worship. Those are both important priorities for a married person. If you're single, you have freedoms in that. You're, you're able to be fully focused on pleasing Christ. Right? And so how that plays out is just going to look a little different for someone who's married versus someone who's single. But Paul isn't saying that one is good and one is bad. Both of those situations are good. He's not trying to restrain anyone. His goal, he says here, is to promote good order, which means to live in a way that is right. And the way that is right is to have each person, in whatever situation they're in, to have undistracted devotion to the Lord. So whether you're married or whether you're single, the goal is the same, have undistracted devotion to the Lord. And that's our third principle for glorifying God. Realize that both married and singles are to be devoted to Christ. Both married and singles are to be devoted to Christ. There's no difference in the goal for those circumstances. You're to pursue him. You're to please him. You're to live for his glory. And by this point in the sermon, I sound a little bit like a broken record, right? But I want to drive home what Paul is driving home. Live for God's glory. Live to please him. Regardless of whatever earthly circumstances you find yourself in, the goal is the same. Please Christ. But there is going to be differences in how each one of us pleases Christ. If you're married, you got to care for your spouse. Their interests, their priorities need to be your interests and your priorities, right? You're called to a sacrificial, loving relationship, caring for your spouse. The same could be true if Paul had mentioned kids, right? If you have kids in your life, that's another set of interests that now divide you. So you've got to please the Lord, but you've also got to care for your spouse, and you've got to raise those little kids, well, for some of you, you may not have those scenarios, but there are other things that the Lord has put on your plate, other things he's entrusted to you. It's just a matter of realizing however much God has put on your plate, your interests are divided to that degree. And so you have to be intentional to pursue what pleases Christ in that. But when it comes to relationships, if you're here and you're single, then you do have the benefit of being freed up to be focused solely on pleasing Christ. And so you have a lot of freedom that married people do not. You don't have to get their input when you're making a decision about how, how I'm going to serve or how I'm going to live. And so if you want to go be a missionary overseas, you don't have to check with your spouse. You can say, Lord, is this what would please you? All right, great, let's go. Let's do it. But a married person has to check with their spouse, right? I mean, they need to consider their spouse's desires because that's important. And that's actually a scenario Michaela and I found ourselves in when we were graduating seminary. We were looking at, is the Lord calling us to overseas missions in England? And we spent five weeks in England trying to discern that. 
And Michaela's desires played a, a heavy part in that decision-making process. It would have been foolish and unwise and unloving of me to say, yeah, I'm ready to go. Let's, go. Let's move to England. And she's saying, no, I'm not ready. I had to care for her. But if you're single and you were in that situation, it'd be a whole different story for you, right? You could just say, Lord, if this is what you desire, then I'm on. Let's go. Let's do this. And Paul's overall point is, don't let your relationship status disrupt your undivided focus on the Lord. If you're married or if you're single, the goal is the same. Be devoted to Christ. And before we move to the last section of the chapter, I do want to give one additional word to those who are single, especially those who are considering marriage in their future. You know, something that was very helpful for Michaela and I as we were considering marriage was to ask ourselves the question, will we be able to glorify God better together or separate? Will we be able to glorify God better together or separate? And the reason why that's so helpful is because if your main goal in life is to have undivided, undivided devotion to the Lord, if your goal is to please Jesus, then you need to realize marriage brings some complications and some troubles and divided interest to that. And so if you believe that you can glorify God better together, then great, pursue marriage. But if the answer to that question is, actually, no, I don't think so. I think this would actually restrain us the time, the commitments that come with marriage would actually hinder us from doing the work that the Lord has for us, then you may need to say, you know what? This is not the appropriate time for me to get married. It's okay to be single. It's good to be single. Those are important things to consider. Now, the last section that we're going to study has some additional words to singles who are wrestling with their position, as well as to those who have been divorced or widowed in the past. And so let's read now verses 36 to 40. Here's what it says. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet it is my judgment she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So in this section is our fourth and final principle for this morning, and it's this. Understand that you have the freedom to remain single or to marry. You have the freedom to remain single or to marry. See, Paul's trying to make sure the Corinthians are not confused about their freedoms in this area. It's not a sin issue to remain single or to get married. You have the freedom to do both. It's good to be in either one of those situations. And so if you desire marriage, great. Pursue it. Enjoy it. But if you have self-control and you don't have a strong desire for marriage, that's good as well. Don't get married. Remain single. And in Paul's view, right, singleness is better. He enjoys singleness. He knows that this present distress adds complications if you get married, and so he would say singleness is better for you in this season of life. But he's not stating that qualitatively singleness is better than marriage all the time, nor is he saying that marriage is better than singleness all the time. And that's something we often miss in the church. Both are good. Both are equally good. And his last words are words to those who have been divorced or widowed. And I believe based on what we studied last week about this issue of divorce, this is speaking to someone who is a believer who did not divorce for biblical reasons. And Paul says, you ought to remain as you are and seek reconciliation if it's possible. Right? That should be your goal. 
However, once your spouse has died, you are free to remarry, but it should only be to a believer. He gives this judgment that he thinks you'll be happier if you remain as you are. Again, he thinks singleness is, is what's best. He doesn't give any further reasonings, it's just how he views life. And so my hope is that as we kind of wrap things up today, as we think about heading out of here, that you would say, Lord, help me to be content in whatever circumstances I am in, whether it's singleness, whether it's marriage, whether you're a widow, whatever it may be. Maybe you're going through a season of suffering. Maybe you're going through a season of great joy. God, I want to be content in you in this circumstance. Help me to figure out how to please you where you've called me and where you've put me. What does that look like to please you today? And then you get busy putting in your time and your effort and your energy to doing those things and living that way. And if you're here this morning, you would say, well, I don't, I don't believe in this. I don't know Christ as my Savior and Lord. Well, glad you're here. I would love to chat with you about that, right? I would love to talk to you about how you can have the hope that, that we have, that Paul has, of knowing that eternity awaits, that there is a joy waiting for us that is far greater than anything that this life offers. So why don't we close our time in a word of prayer? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning and we thank you for the word. Thank you that it teaches us, that it instructs us in the way that we should go. And we thank you, Lord, that we're called to glorify you in whatever circumstances we are in. Whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we have kids or we don't, whatever we're in, Lord, the goal is the same. Please you. Would you help us to want to do that? Help us to know how to do that, Lord. Help us to be students of your word. Teach us. Equip us, Lord. And Father, for those who are here today who are, you know, they're still struggling. Maybe they're a Christian, but they are still struggling with the bondage from their former way of living. I pray, Lord, that they would take the step today of walking into the light. That they would invite a brother or sister in Christ into their life to hold them accountable and to take steps to put off those enslaving behaviors. To live in a way that honors and glorifies you. If there are some here who are struggling with their circumstances, they're not content in singleness or they're struggling in their marriage, there's conflict, I pray, Lord, that they too would seek to please you and they would get help. Lord, that they would ask others to walk with them through those struggles and those trials. That they would see that you have declared marriage is good and so is singleness. And that their main concern ought to be pleasing you. And Father, for those who are here this morning who don't know you, who are wrestling with what they believe, we're thankful for them being here. I pray, Lord, that even what they've heard today would would be weighing on their hearts and that they would be considering what it would look like to follow you with their lives. Lord, please help us in the days and weeks ahead to take the next steps to be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name.